Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Hey guys, it's so great to be with you today. I'm really excited about today and the next few weeks that we have together as we lead up to Christmas. Before we get to the new series that we're going to be speaking into, I I wonder if we could give a huge shout out. First of all, I want to say that uh, we haven't really made uh, enough of the stuff that we're doing with regards to Kids Church Online. And I just want to say Louise Bussell and the team there have worked remarkable. There's loads of kids that are just connecting to that platform and it's just wonderful to see what they're doing. So I wonder if we could just give a big shout out to our Kids Church team and all the kids who are part of Arena Church. I always say this if you're new to the broadcast today or new to our live services. I want to say we have lots of different ages and different kinds of people. Why? Because we love all kinds of of people. And I wonder if we could also, as, as you know me, give a huge shout out to all our locations. We're, we're one church in now seven locations if we include the online church service. And I, I just wonder if we could give a huge shout out to all your campus pastors. Come on, if you're, if you're uh, online, just get typing on the screen. If you're in person, in a live context, because we've got both happening at the moment, then why don't you just put your hands together and give a shout out to your Pastor, just finally, it's really important as we lead up to the the C word. It's happening. It's upon us. Christmas. There's lots of things that are happening through Arena Church at this Christmas time, and I just want to encourage you to check out the adverts, to get on the social media, to link in with us on Instagram and on Facebook, and uh, check out our website. You'll get all the service details there. But also, guys, if, if, if it's your first time here and you enjoy it, get the word out. If you're part of Arena Church, can I encourage you, please, can you just begin to you know, shout out to people and, and let them know what we are doing at this Christmas time. Now, to the series. We're going to be talking over the next three weeks under the headline banner of Tis the Season. Come on, say it with me. Tis the Season. Now this is a three-week series that I'm going to endeavour and we're going to endeavour to unpack the significance of the Christmas story. What a story it is. And the Christmas story has so much to teach us today. And it's beyond the world of, you know, cute and cosy nativities and drinking eggnog and reindeers and caroling. (laughs) I love all those things, as you can tell. But it's way beyond that. And I really believe it's not a story that should just be consigned to a particular time. And it shouldn't be a story that just stays in the past. But this Christmas story needs to be told today and into our futures. Because this story is truly life-changing. It's life-altering. and It's full of miracles. It's, if I can use this word carefully, it's full of magic. It's full of awe. It's full of wonder. As God came into the world through a baby... I'm always dumbfounded, really, just as, as, as an aside, that important dates in a church's year, there's a leaning from some unconventional, hip, cool, trendy church pastors to do something completely different. Well, you may say, well, what do you mean, Christian? Well, let me help you. I heard of one church <laughs> at Easter many, many years ago who said, instead of preaching into the Easter message, and what a message it is, 
they would um, instead preach into David and Goliath. Now, I actually don't know if it was David and Goliath. <laughs> and not that there's anything wrong with the story of David and Goliath. But it certainly wasn't about Easter. And why would you want to not preach into the wonder of this Christmas story? So as I said, we're going to be unpacking the thought of tis the season. But finally, just before I really get to the crux of it, so these are just introductory remarks. When I thought about this headline and we was planning and preparing it, and before we go to the story, it's really important because we underscore what a season it's actually been. I don't think we in this modern age have ever experienced anything like this. Would you agree? The world has been shut down at every level and this pandemic has disrupted the world and disturbed the status quo and has humbled the nations and its leaders. And times and seasons are written across the scriptures. The Lord woke me up a few nights ago in the early hours of the morning and I was helping a group of new Christians to understand what does that look like. Well, the Lord didn't speak to me in an audible voice and I was explaining to them that often he speaks silently in your heart through a time of prayer or even reading the Bible, the scriptures. And that's what happened. And I felt the Lord say to me that before we enter into the next season of 2021, we should stop and ask ourselves a few questions. Questions like, what do I need to learn in this season? What is God wanting to teach me? Where must I grow? What do I need to embrace? What do I need to let go of? And what do I need to discern in this season? And then the Lord said to me, reminded me of two passages in the scriptures where it talks of the men of Issachar in 1 Chronicles and 12 and verse 32. It says of this group of men that they understood, they discerned the times that they were in. Hmm, interesting that. It's important that we discern the time and the season that we are in. But secondly, I felt the Lord then say to me, but I also, there's another occasion in the scriptures where it talks about seasons and times and it's found in Ecclesiastes in chapter 3. And actually, if you read those verses, just there's probably one to eight verses, it identifies 28 different seasons in those few short verses. And Ecclesiastes teaches us that in that season, we should embrace the season that we're in. So this is the thought. We need to, we need, we would do well to discern the season, understand the season, but at the same time to embrace the season that we are in without forcing our way out of it prematurely into the next. This is a season, guys, this is a season, church, this is a season for you to ask yourself those questions that I mentioned earlier and to really think through some things. So now, to the message. Because this is a season to the, of Advent. And what is God wanting to show us? What is God wanting us to see? Well, next week we're going to be looking at the shepherds. And I'm really looking forward to next week. Because I will show you first how God came to lowliness before he came to loftiness. I love that. God often comes to the poor and the broken before he comes to those who are all together. That's great news for me. I don't know about you. Is that great news for you? Because often I find my life very broken and very lowly. And God comes to me. And that's what he did. He came to these group of shepherds. But today, I want to talk about how God came, or how the wise men came to God. 
And in this season, it was a season, the wise men showed us, they brought a season of goodwill. I wonder if you just, you know, I know you can't shout that out, but if you could whisper it under your screen or if you're online, you could type it in or even shout it out in your living room. Just say this is a season of goodwill. What do I mean by goodwill? Well, I think it's really important. We don't want to be Scrooges, do you, where we say, oh, bar humbug. We don't want goodwill. This goodwill that I'm talking about and this season of goodwill that I believe and will show how the wise men brought it, it, it can be defined as a friendly attitude in which you, you want and you wish and you long for good things to happen to people and those around you. It's a time to bestow goodness and kindness and compassion and love and joy to those around us. One thing I've been really, really upset about across the world, and particularly in the area of politics, and we don't get involved in it, is how there hasn't been a coming together. And in fact, um, John F. Kennedy, the assassinated US president in the 60s, he said this, in a time of domestic crisis, men of goodwill and generosity should be able to unite regardless of party or politics. We will do well to remember that in this season. A coming together to really beat this pandemic, a coming together to fix our economy, a coming together, a really coming together to try and bring hope and help to the people of our nation and the nations of the world. I love the thought of goodwill and particularly in, in movies. I, I, I recently, uh, and I'm trying to be uh, Josh Turner, our Mansfield campus pastor, who said that he must have seen 30 Christmas movies. And I jokingly said to him, well, I'm at 31. I'm not, nowhere near it. But I've been watching with the kids and Caroline some Christmas movies. And they, we, we, we just flicked on um, the, 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 the movie called New Year's Eve. I don't know whether you've ever seen it. But it was brilliant because as I checked on it, because you have to check it, is it appropriate? Is it God? Do I need to be doing this when I'm watching this film? Thankfully, we didn't have to do any of that. But it said in the trailer, it was a film of love, hope, forgiveness, second chances, and fresh starts. It was a movie of goodwill. And when I think of the Christmas story that I'm about to unfold, and we're about to unfold over these next few weeks, I want to say this is a story of love and hope and forgiveness and second chances and fresh starts. The thought of goodwill really re resounds in me because I love spending time with people who are far away from, from Christ or are on a journey to faith and trying to discover their life. And they often, there'll be a curse word that comes out and then they'll go, oh, I'm sorry, you know, they, you're a priest or you're a vicar. And I say, it's not a problem. It's really not a problem, you know, to me and you know, I think they think they have to get it all together. And I say to them, you don't. Just be honest. Tell me who you are. And, but there was one particular man um, just in the, from, from the first lockdown into the second, we was able to open for a few weeks. And uh, he, he came and he, he was actually in our hub, hub uh, campus. And uh, he sat through the, the message. And then just at the end, he, 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 shout, he shouts to our campus pastor, because there was very little etiquette. Oi, Lisa, I want a word with you. And uh, she said, I'll, I'll come to you in a minute. I'm just dealing with something. And I just happened to walk by, masked up, and we were socially distanced. And he went, you'll do. <laughs> That's great, isn't it? You'll do. So I said, yeah, what, what could I do to help you? And he began to tell me his story. I want to tell you, I was very moved by his story. He said how he lived in another country, and for the fact of trying to just protect his privacy, I won't say where, but he was there, he built a great business, he'd got a wife and a, I think a couple of children, 
But as he then unraveled his story, he began to tell me how due to the rape of his wife, entered into a, a murder, which then engaged in him going to prison. There was a family breakdown. And then over the years that he was in prison, his wife passed away. And he was sent back to the UK and he's from this area. And he says, and I came back and I was penniless and I was broken. I mean, he had tears in his eyes. This guy was a big dude. <laughs> and as he entered the town, he said, I had nothing. And, but people pointed him to Arena Church. <laughs> Guys, what we do makes a difference. It really does. And, and, and as he told me this story, he said that they just accepted him as he was because everybody is a somebody at Arena. And uh, we fed him and we clothed him and we helped him. And he remembered it. And he came back this service just to say to us, he's now back on his feet. He's now doing well. And he wanted to know what he could do to help us. In fact, he went beyond that. He says, I've collected shed loads of food and I want to donate it to you so you can help others. This is a story of goodwill. And there are stories of goodwill that resound through our lives and resound through history and resound through the church. But I believe there's one goodwill story that we find in the scriptures as we pick up the Christmas story. So just go with me for a moment, will you, to Matthew in chapter 2. And we're just going to carefully go through these verses. And I'm going to break some misconceptions as well, while still landing two particular points that I think we should really lean into and embrace in this season of goodwill. It tells the Christmas story in Matthew 2 and verse 1, and it begins... That Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king. And behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born, king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. Now, this is a historical record of the coming of the wise men. And we need to notice that it was in the time of Herod, the king. Now, here's a misconception. Many people believe it happened at the same time as the shepherds. It didn't. It probably happened six months or even 18 months after the coming of the birth of Jesus when the wise men actually arrived in Jerusalem, as we shall see later. Notice that they came to Herod the king, and he was an evil king. He was a competitive king. He was snake-like. And we can see later that all he wanted to do was kill the Messiah. We could ask ourselves the question from this, where did they get this information about the significance of the star? Well, I've heard it been said that they were superstitious people. They were people of the stars. They weren't. This term wise indicates that they were high-ranking officials, equivalent to the Secretary of State or a Prime Minister even. And they were actually students of the stars. They knew a great deal about them. They would have also understood, because they were learned men, Bible prophecy. That of that day was very, very clear. And there's Bible prophecy that runs through the Old Testament that predicts and announces and prophesies the coming of a Messiah. 
There was also a very significant man by the name of Daniel, who was a government official in Babylon, who had dreams and visions, and he also wrote these things down, and they would have known the writings of Daniel. And so they knew that it was going to happen in a particular place. So when these wise men saw this unusual star, they knew what it meant. Now, some people have tried to explain the star occurrence. Let me just say, there's no use trying to explain the star on a natural basis. The nature of the star makes it very clear that this was another, get this, supernatural occurrence orchestrated by God. That's all it was, a supernatural occurrence orchestrated by God. I'm saying that's all it was. That's a big deal. But let me tell you, there are supernatural occurrences that God orchestrates in your life too. You just need to open your eyes and look for them and hear for them. And they're there. Now, here's another thought. People take it from this, that they were three wise men. What were the three of them? Well, let me be clear. The scripture doesn't give us any number. But my feeling, personal feeling, is that there must have been more than three. Because they would have come from different places in the East. And I don't know about you, but if I was one of those wise men, I would have set a time and a date that we're all agreeable on, that we would travel together. And I think that's what happened. And they journeyed together. And they first came to Jerusalem. But it's noticed that they caused quite a stir. And why I don't think there were three men, because I don't think three men traveling on a cowboy would have caused a stir in Jerusalem. I actually think if 300 would, and I'm not saying the 300, but I believe there were dozens of men who would come together, who were very wise, who understood the, the times and seasons that they were in, and they knew that this was their moment to see something incredible. And they traveled, and they came to that area, and they caused a stir. And as I said, they knew it was Bethlehem because it was already predicted and prophesied through the Scriptures. So there's some misconceptions, hopefully that, hopefully, that I've blown to pieces. So let's read on, shall we? Because he then goes on to say in verse 3 of Matthew 2, that when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. You better believe he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. And when he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where the Messiah was to be born. Get this, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. See, they knew. It was prophesied, it was predicted. Verse six, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This was predicted hundreds of years before. Then Herod called the wise men secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And then he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now let me clear up another misconception. The wise men did go to Bethlehem and the star led them to the exact place. But when they arrived in Bethlehem, they found Jesus' family, but not in a stable. You may see the shepherds and the wise men all together in the manger in the church with, you know, oxen and sheep and there wouldn't have been pigs, chickens and whatever all there. And they're on the pageants and they're on the Christmas cards. But that did not take place. Instead, the wise men came Quite a bit time afterwards, 
And how do we know that? Well, let's record it from the scriptures because it says, when the wise men got there, the Lord Jesus was no longer in a stable, get this, but in a house. Verse 11 of Matthew 2. On coming to the house. On coming to the house. Not a stable, not a manger, not an inn. On coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down. And they worshipped him. And then it goes on to say, And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, the tradition for the number of wise men originated because of the number of gifts. But as we've already reasoned, there were more likely to be many more wise men than three. But they did bring gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Just let me tell you, just for a moment, the symbolism of this. Very important. Gold is the gift for kings. They identified him as the king of all kings. And I want to tell you, he's the king of all kings, this Jesus. Frankincense is also a gift for kings. But why myrrh? Well, myrrh was used as a perfume for embalming a dead person. And I think it's showing us, even in the gifts that were given at his birth, even in his birth, his death is there. Because he was born to die. You can't read the Christmas story without connecting it to the Easter story. Or they become disconnected. The point is that Christ, God came into the world through a person. Jesus came into the world, born of a virgin. But his purpose was always to die for the sins of the world. And these wise men brought gifts from their hearts and from their resources. So in the time that I have with you, hopefully I've just disturbed you a little bit to think a little bit more about the story, about these wise men, about the circumstances surrounding them. But I wonder if there's some lessons that we need to learn from these wise men. Because they truly did extend a season of goodwill. And it was expressed in the way that they worshipped and that they gave. So two things that I think we need to learn, we can learn. Are you ready? you got your pen and your pencil and your iPads and your devices at the ready. Have you really? Yeah, you're all good. Okay. The first thing I want to say that we should learn, that they did and that we should do. Number one, they came with worship. They came with worship. Now I want to read again slowly verse 11. It reads, on coming to the house... They saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. Now certainly this would have been an appropriate time for the wise man to worship Mary if God had intended that she should be worshipped. She was there in the house with Jesus. But did you notice what the scripture says? It says they fell down And they worshipped him, not her, and not them. The point I'm trying to make is this. These wise men knew the one they needed to worship. And we get caught up with all kinds of things that we're going to worship. You want everything perfect for Christmas. 
You want the trimmings, you want the meal, you want the presents, you want the decorations, you want everything perfect. And if we're not careful, we just worship the theme and spirit of Christmas rather rather than the center of Christmas. Some people worship the gifts. Some people worship, you know, all the parties and all the celebrations. And of course, they're going to be more limited this Christmas time. The point I wanted to make is that we can worship loads of other things. We can worship a car. We can worship a a person. We can worship a job. But these wise men, they were wise. They were wise. They knew the one to worship. And it was the Savior. And interesting, upon coming into the house, they didn't hesitate. They fell down in worship. Get the the wonder of this. Let's imagine that Jesus was just a toddler. He was sat there with his mother, at the side of his mother. Grown men, (laughs) bowing to the floor, to a baby or a toddler in worship. These were learned men. These were men of power and authority. But they knew the one who they were encountering. And they bowed down and they worshipped. I was reminded of when writing this message of a concluding verse of a carol and a hymn that I really love in the bleak midwinter. If I may read it to you. The final verse says this. What can I give him poor as I am if I were a shepherd? I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? Give him my heart. They bow down and worship this baby. They knew in that moment that he was the one alone who had the words of eternal life. Jesus, in that moment, they knew he was the one who was the way, the truth, and the life. They knew in that moment that this baby was God's great love. They knew in that moment that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And the truth of the wise men resounds into today. This is the truth. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. He is the one that you are looking for. He is the one that we should bow down and worship to. They came with worship. But secondly, they came with gifts. He says in verse 11, after worshiping him, then they, after worshiping, They then gave and they opened up their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. Honestly believe, you can't be a worshipper without being a giver. I need to repeat that. You can't be a worshipper without being a giver. It's impossible to say that you worship God and then don't give to God or don't give to his church or don't give to the world. Because I honestly believe that worship precedes giving every time. These wise men bowed down in worship and then their natural response was give into the king. I've come across people who struggle with giving. And one thing I say to people, which is a bit strange, is if you struggle with giving, the principle of giving, 
to God and to others. Immerse yourself in worship and watch what happens. Because as you worship, as you really worship God, as you surrender your heart to Him, as you bring songs of love and adoration to our Lord, our hearts change and we give Him everything. And this is what happened. These wise men, one version says, they opened up their luggage, <laughs> their luggage of gifts. It wasn't a poxy little you know, box that we have in our minds. I want to tell you, this was a trail of luggage with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. The point is here, they, they, were, wise, they were wealthy men. I'll come on to that in a moment. But they gave it their very best. You know, to a wealthy man, to give a thousand pounds is nothing. A million pounds probably cost them. And that's what they did. They determined they weren't going to give the least. They were going to give the best. I think there were bars of gold. I think there were coins of gold. I think those were the finest frankincense and myrrh that they could offer. And it totaled a great sum of money. And they gave it in worship to God. Just as an aside, it's interesting, one commentator, I thought it was interesting when I was delving into this story, they, they argue the point that actually these gifts would have financed Joseph and Mary when they had to go to their exodus in Egypt. They had to flee, remember? Because Herod had announced that he wanted all the males under the age of two to be killed and they had to flee to, to, um, to, to Egypt quickly. And one commentator says that this, 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 this giving of the gifts of the wise men would have supplied their living expenses for a number of years, even after returning to Israel. And I like this thought because I honestly believe that God always, always will, will help us with provision every single time. And they gave of their best. And they offered these gifts that were of great value, that made a great impact to Joseph and Mary and to Jesus in the days ahead. Now, you may not have gold and silver or wealth. You may say, I'm really struggling to get by at Christmas and there's many people who are. And that is why we're here for you and you are, for, you are here and you need some food and you need some help. You need to let us know. You need to email the officers. You need to call the officers. We will do what we can to get a hamper to you. If you are a genuine need, we will do everything we can to serve you and bless you at this Christmas time. So you may say, I haven't got a lot to give to God. So I can't be like the wise men. No, 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 please stay with me for a moment because I believe that every one of us can offer something to God and to the world. We can offer worship and we can give of some values and qualities. And as I close, I just want to leave you with these thoughts. Romans 12 verse 1 through to 2 in the message reads this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. I want you to take your ordinary Everyday life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. I wonder if we could do that first of all. From now up until Christmas and then into 2021, we just take the ordinary things of our lives, the everyday ordinary, eating, sleeping, walking around, working, and we present it before God as an offering. I love what it reads in Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17, because we get a reminder here. Let me read it to you. And it's from the Passion Translation, and it reads, going through the motions don't please you. David's speaking of God. He says, going through the motions don't please you. 
A flawless performance is nothing to you. I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. Heart shattered lives. Ready for love. Don't for a moment escape God's notice. Paul reminds us that we were to offer everything. And David says, listen, just bring who you are. The authentic, real you. No masquerades, no masks, no fake. Remember, we don't do fake because it's exhausting. We be real. For you to be honest. And in honest abandonment, you offer your life to God. And you say in this moment, God, I bring my worship to you as the wise men did. And I bring this gift of myself to you, the authentic, real me. And I offer it to you and I offer it to the world. You know, those kinds of people, God does something in. In 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 13, the love chapter, many, many principles of love. And the final thing that the writer of this says, Paul, he says, three things remain. Faith, hope, love. But the greatest of these is love. I want to encourage you. Every single one of us, wealthy, poor, black, white, young, old, male, female, whoever we are, to trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, and love extravagantly. And the best of these three is love. I believe that across this world at this time, There are stories of love, kindness, generosity, and goodwill that are being extended to all. I've been reading stories of men who've gone on streets who are clearly very wealthy and have been given away money on the streets. There was one occasion in Manchester two years ago where somebody was on the streets who was buying people's shopping for them, getting to the till before they could. It was a remarkable story of a season of goodwill. I honestly think we should offer what we have to God, our worship, and offer to our world our good goodwill. We can do that in the way that we love and hope, show kindness, offer faith, compassion, forgiveness, and joy. We can do it in the way that we speak and we act and we forgive and we overlook. We go second in a queue. We offer compassion and we say sorry. Tis the season of goodwill. Will we do as the wise men taught us to offer our worship? And will we offer the very best of our gifts to God and the world? I believe if we'll do so, we will see what God will do amongst us. I wonder if we'd bow our heads in this moment. I'd like to pray. Father, we thank you for the wonder, the awe of, your, of the Christmas story. Jesus, you came to earth to forgive and save mankind. Lord, I thank you for this story that's written into the scriptures of these wise men who offered their worship and the best of their gifts. I pray we too will do the same. And Lord, it may be that while we're on this broadcast, there are people who want to receive you as Lord and Savior. While every eye is closed and head is bowed, if that is you today and you say, I would like to know Jesus as my Savior. I'd like to really know what it is to put my trust in God. I wonder if you'd pray this prayer with me because he loves you, he came for you. Just say from your heart, dear Lord Jesus, 
Thank you for loving me. Thank you for coming for me. Thank you for dying for me. I give my life to you. I give my heart to you. Be the Lord of my life. Take away my sin. Cleanse me from the inside out. Do a new thing in my heart and mind. In Jesus' name I ask it. I want to say, friend, if you prayed that prayer, the Bible says you're born again. The Bible says that you are now at one with God. And I want to encourage you to click on the screen. Just reach out in this moment on the screen if you are online. Just let the host know that you've responded to Jesus. Just before we finish, I just want to pray a prayer over everybody who's here today. May we, may we live out of a season of goodwill. I pray that we would extend it to the world. May we extend faith, hope, and love to our world. May we respond with compassion and passion and joy and peace, and generosity and kindness to all. For it truly is, Lord, a season of goodwill. Help us, I pray, to make a difference in this world. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. God bless you. I've loved being with you today. I want to encourage you to keep going and keep leaning in to the broadcasts week after week. And as always, I love you. I'm praying for you. And I believe in you. God bless you.